We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What is up, Nets fans? Welcome to a live Brooklyn Buzz. I'm your host, Nick Faye. With me, as always, Jack Manuel. Jack, you alive? How you doing? No, oh, I thought the Vince Carter shot was going in, Nick. I really did. I really did. Yeah, it was crazy. Nets picked up a close one. Uh, what, 114-112 in Atlanta in a game that was down to the wire, which it probably shouldn't have been because the Nets missed, uh, what, 21 free throws tonight? So 33 of 54 from the line. It was a nail-biter, but they pulled off the W, and that's all that matters, right? Um, yeah, that's all that matters, Nick. Um, it didn't look like we were going to close it out. Um, it just felt inevitable that it was just going to be one of those nights for the Nets, but thankfully, um, it, it ended our way. You know, we just made one free throw that counted, you know, we gave the Atlanta Hawks some free fried chicken. So it's a good <laughs> night for everyone, I guess. Yeah, it, it was crazy. Like uh, the Nets in the first half, I would say they outplayed the Hawks pretty well. They just weren't hitting their shots. They missed probably like seven open threes to start the game. Second half, it was more of like they got outplayed by Atlanta, turning over the ball, getting sloppy. Atlanta had uh, 18 offensive rebounds total for the game. It felt like more than half of those came in the second half. Just overall, the second half wasn't up to par in terms of just general play. Yeah, the execution on, on both ends, especially the offensive end. Um, in that first quarter, you know, Alan Crabb had a ton of open shots and just couldn't hit him. He hit one um, above the break three, you know, probably the hardest three you can hit. Um, I think in the third quarter, just not making shots when the, when they were there. You know, there were open perimeter shots and, you know, the, it wasn't just the best night. Spencer Dinwiddie offensively was probably the best performer. Um, it, it just didn't necessarily work out on that end, but... You know, we grinded and we got to the free throw line. We just didn't make them either. So despite the fact that we did and we got the right shots, um, we just couldn't make them. <laughs> yeah, the three-point shooting was weird. Like 
Joe Harris probably hasn't had that many open looks like in the start of the game. He missed two that he probably hadn't all, had all month. Then you mentioned Alan Crabb. He just couldn't hit. And he was missing, you know, the same spot over and over again. That's a little concerning. But like you said, Dinwiddie was huge in this game. I felt like he kind of saved the game for the Nets. You know, D'Lo wasn't bad. He was very smooth. But Dinwiddie, 23.7 of 14, 4-7 from three, seven assists, six rebounds, only two turnovers. You just felt his presence a lot in this game. Yeah, and I thought D'Lo was great in the first half, especially. And then that dagger three as well. So he had his moments and some of his passes tonight were just absolutely sublime. So um, it's not to say that D'Angelo had a bad game. Obviously, looking at the box score, it certainly doesn't look pretty. Uh, Spencer was just far more efficient. And so it was probably, I think these two are starting to play well together. And, and that's really positive. Obviously, uh, a lot of guys are down on Karis Levert's uh, recent form. Um, but if we have at least D'Angelo and Spencer playing well, we are going to get some wins, even in this tough stretch. But they were both great. Um, you know, D'Angelo with his passing and that, and that dagger three. And then Spencer just driving at will. Yeah, I felt like you mentioned the box were not great for D'Angelo, but I still felt like he had a positive impact on the game. Like you said, some of those elite passes he had and just overall his presence was kind of calming at certain points. Rodion's game really stuck out for me. You know, 16 points, 5 of 7, 4 of 5 from 3, 6 rebounds. He pretty much had every Hawks player wanting to kill him. You just love the feistiness he brings. What about that dunk, ladies and gents? <laughs> Gee, Lord. Air Latvia. Air Latvia is actually an airline, I believe, isn't it? I'm pretty uh, sure it sounds it like it. It's fitting. Yeah. If not, I guess you should start one now. <laughs> yeah, he needs to get a sponsorship with them if that is the case because um, he's just got ferocity and confidence that not many rookies in this league have. You know, We probably wouldn't have seen that in the first few games of the season from a guy like Rodion's, but now he just is dunking on bloody seven-foot-two blokes. And Alex Len, you know, you've made the list, uh, the poster. It looks bloody nice. And yeah, I think every time that Rodion's was out on the floor, we just looked more cohesive you know he and when he's hitting the three ball obviously it just makes it that much better and he's been great the past few matchups with that sort of perimeter shot so um he's been absolutely sensational and, and with Dinwiddie was probably the best performer in terms of you know the expectations we have of them he did exceed them yeah, it's just like the energy he brings out there. And when he's knocking down a three-point shot, just imagine if, you know, Crab and Harris were hitting or everyone was hitting that night. It would just be a crazy night. He's been really hot the last few games. I really like what he brings. And like you said, the confidence, attacking Vince Carter, we're going to see him attacking a lot of guys. He's just like a mismatch for a lot of guys because he's so quick at his size, but he has a great wingspan and great length. Yeah, he really does. And obviously... You know, you just know what he's good at already. You just can't wait to see in the next coming years how he continues to blossom as a player because he gets, he can all, you can already tell he's probably going to be one of those Marcus Smart, Patrick Beverly types that not a lot of other opposing teams are going to like. And I don't necessarily think he intends to do it. I think he's just through his general energy and, and demeanor, it just seems to rub off the wrong way on players. When we saw D'Angelo <laughs> grab John Collins, like, nah, man, no, 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 because of of Rodion's foul. It just seems to me that like he accidentally makes those sort of dinky little fouls and stuff. And that's just, you know, rookie errors. But um, I, I don't mind that. I, I much rather prefer to have that sort of instigator. I know, I think in preseason shows and, and in certain questions of mailbags, we've asked, we've been asked, you know, would we want an instigator? Do we need an instigator? I think Rodion sort of fits that mold to an extent. And I think his game is just continuing to grow. And um, I think 21 minutes, I think we should, we could see 25 plus in, in certain matchups going forward.
Yeah, he's a pure competitor. Like you said, he just brings that extra edge. And, you know, opponents aren't going to like that because he's going to die for the loose balls. He's going to fight for everything. And I just love it. And I think his contract is going to end up being one of the best bargains in the NBA over the next couple of seasons. I think Sean Marks signed him for a four-year, like $6.6 million deal. And a lot of people were like, oh, you usually don't sign your second rounders that long. Well, Rodion's looks like he's going to turn to a really nice piece for the Nets. And he's obviously super young, hasn't played a ton of basketball. Really looking forward to that. Talking about another young guy in the Nets, Jared Allen, had a really nice game. Other than defending John Collins, he put up 20 points, 16 free throw attempts, 12 rebounds, seven offensive boards. His mentality tonight was just next level. Love that little shoving Torian Prince. Um, it was just like that sort of moment where it's like he ain't going to take no shit right now. And, and, and he, he kept it. that. He kept that throughout the entire match, which is what you want. Um, he was just absolutely awesome. You know, just feasting on boards. His free throw shooting, I didn't think, was horrible. Um, he looked confident at least going there. It was, it was more some of the other guys that you expect to sort of make them. But, um, you know, a career high in free throws. And he just uh, was super impactful. And, and I think this gives him confidence because, you know, John Collins was still outstanding as well. But, you know, Jared Allen was equally good for us. So I think both of those guys um, are, are great players and great players going forward, I think. Brian Fonseca put out how like did both of these guys you know slip out of the lottery but I think when it comes to the big men you sort of take that little bit of a reach um and I think that these two guys are going to be really really nice players going forward yeah there was a lot of concern about how John Collins would fit in the NBA obviously it's working out pretty well for him and they're worried that you know Jared Allen wouldn't really compete obviously tonight he got turned on early on I think the seven offensive rebounds really stuck out for me just the ability to kind of tip those extra passes out take advantage of his length because it's not every night you're going to go against a seven footer or big front line so it's an area where he can really attack especially when he's fully engaged like tonight yeah and I think that that started he set the tone for himself early and really made an impact you know from that first critical first quarter going forward and um, I, I think that this is a, a sort of precursor and a sort of standard for him um, going forward. You know, this is what you can sort of do on the offensive glass and sort of impacting uh, the boards uh, there. I think that's something that we, he really needs to focus on. But um, Nick, do we want to address uh, one of the questions from our dude? SSB? Yeah, let's do it. We got another one from my SSV. He's hitting us with a lot of good questions. We love it. We love it. Uh, what do you guys think is up with Levert? Are we still at the point where he is working his way back? Yeah, I think so. I think every other game, it seems like he goes from a good game to a bad game. Tonight, right from the get-go, he did not look comfortable. He looked out of sync from the start. Obviously, he's still, you know, a solid defensively, but offensively, I think he's still trying to find his role. It's obviously a big change from the beginning of the season where he was used to having a ton of touches, and now it's like here and there. So I think he's just out of sync with his role and just being back on the floor. He did the the bucket that he did make tonight was dear Lord, it was, yeah. it was nice. Um, it was sort of what we we saw from him uh, pre injury where he was just dancing on dudes and had some of that pretty footwork. It was just you know had um had him in the blender. I think it was Collins uh, at that stage, but yep. um, it, it surprises me to see him that he was leading the team in plus minus at plus twelve in twenty one minutes. Um, but it didn't seem like, well, I was sort of expecting, you know, uh, following the matchup to sort of go to the, the plus minus and see him sort of in, in the minuses and sort of leading that way. But um, that's sort of where you, you sort of go and, and it looks a little bit misleading because I don't think he was super impactful. He made some okay defensive plays, rebounded okay, had a steal here or there. But uh, I, I think in terms of he's certainly working his way back. There are some worrying issues, um, but at the same time, you know, you make a direct comparison to a guy like Gordon Hayward, who's only hitting stride now. 
um, and had an equally serious, if not more serious, you know, leg injury. So I think Karis Levert is younger as well. So he has that going on his side as, uh, at the same time. But if he's just going to play that sort of bench role, bench guard uh, alongside Dinwiddie, uh, for the rest of the season, I still think he's going to be valuable. And then next season, we'll probably see him at his best. And even if he shows some moments and flashes, you know, he's still better than Jared Dudley, Ronda Hollis Jefferson, these sort of guys who are, you know, in, in, deep and, and, and out of the rotation. Yeah, I think uh, athletically, the one positive is he looks fine. It's just more of his rhythm. Like there was just a couple of dribbles where he just really didn't know what to do in the way the defenses were playing him. He just was kind of out of it. So I have confidence, like you said, he'll be back next season. I'm not fully confident he'll be good the rest of the year. I think he'll have moments and stretches. Just maybe he can get going right before the playoffs and just find a consistent role. We don't need anything crazy for him. We just need the occasional, you know, stretch where he kind of takes over where the offense is stagnant and then just bring that great defense. You know, deflections is something that he definitely brings that not a lot of Nets do. Yeah, and I think he can still be out there in terms of, you know, closing sort of defensive lineups at times. Um, he, he adds a lot of value on that end of the floor and, you know, he'll, he'll find his way. Um, he's had his ups and downs. We've spoken about them on, on previous iterations of the buzz last season, but Nick unruly star thinks that the, the nets need to make, um, practicing their free throws uh, an emphasis in some of their off days. What are your thoughts on that? Obviously we. It has been an issue a couple times this year. So, like, it is something concerning. Maybe they do need to put a little bit of more um, stress on that. But some of it's just guys having an off night and just, like, the whole team. I think it's like, you know, you see a couple guys miss free throws and all of a sudden everybody's missing free throws. Very rare do we see Joe Harris miss two free throws, Alan Kraft miss two free throws all in the same night. The only guy that's, like, not super surprising, Ed Davis isn't a great free throw shooter. You're going to expect one of these from him. So just, like, everybody missed two or three, and they usually don't. Even D'Angelo Russell is usually really good. Same thing with Dinwiddie. Yeah, it sort of spreads like wildfire. It's it's contagious, and I think that that's the same with you know perimeter shooting. You know, <laughs> it happens have, tonight too. <laughs> it is. It can be a, it can be a positive effect or it can be a negative effect. And and tonight it just happened to be the the negative effect. And um, luckily we're still able to scrape through with the win. But if we do, um, if that's if this trend is to continue against teams like Detroit, OKC, uh, and any team that we're versing in, in the rest of the season um we are not going to win games it's as simple as that so um i'm not a really that big of an advocate i've sort of read you know into sort of free throws and, and in the sense that practicing them more actually gets you more in your head uh, in that sort of sense these guys are professionals they know how to shoot free throws yes ed davis is probably the one uh, that probably does need to practice them a little bit but at the same time you know the, the joe harris like you sort of mentioned all those names then there's 70% plus the free throw shooters, 75%, some 80%. Um, I, I back them in. It's just one of those nights. And um, I think that every team has them. You know, we're not the Lakers in any stretch of the imagination. But um, if it does continue, then something, I guess, needs to change in that sort of sense. But um, I'm hoping this is just a blip on the radar. Yeah, it was it was just lucky that it happened against a team like Atlanta, where they're not an amazing team. You know, if this happened in the road trip against one of the good teams, it definitely would have been a loss. That includes, you know, missing wide open. I feel like it was just contagious from missing the wide open threes to the wide open free throws. Like, it was just shots, and that's usually knocked down. Maybe they don't knock them all down, but they definitely would shoot a higher percentage than they did tonight. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, and another question from our boy, Will Jackson. Do you think we see Trevion Graham at all for the remainder of the season? Hasn't been spoken about a lot. Mm, I think we'll definitely probably see him maybe for a couple minutes at certain points, but I think he might've lost his role in the rotation. Usually coaches are opposed to like taking guys out because of injury, but in this situation, the Nets just look so much better offensively in terms of just the rhythm and in sync and what Rodion brings. And it seems like the approach is different too. Like Kenny knows what he's doing with the starting lineup, starting uh, D'Lo, Crab, Harris, 
Rodions and Jared Allen. It's a completely different approach than starting who we had before. What was it? Uh, D'Lo, Lavert, Harris, Trevion, Graham, and Jared Allen. Like the current starting lineup is all spacing, where the other starting lineup was very little spacing. Yeah, and Crab hasn't been providing a lot of spacing lately. So I guess that his role is going to be one to watch going forward, whether he goes to the bench. Um, it's It hasn't necessarily affected Joe Harris positively that much in terms of having that extra guy out there. So I'm not sure Alan Crabb deserves to have that starting spot, starting spot locked up, but um, it, it's certainly one to watch. But SSV's jumped in again. Uh, Vince Carter, VC, thoughts on VC joining the Nets next year? Well, just one quick note. I wouldn't be surprised if they started Dinwiddie in the playoffs for some reason. Like, that wouldn't be the worst idea. Dinwiddie tonight, like I was saying, was just like an excellent player. And I think him and D'Angelo are both need to play like 35 to 40 minutes when it comes to the postseason. They're just that much better than everybody else right now. And in terms of Vince Carter, I hate to be a hater, but he doesn't really bring much to the team. Like, he's not good. He got cooked by Rodions. He's just, he does probably more complaining than having a positive impact. He's a good veteran if he's just going to sit on the bench, but I don't think his overall impact is going to really help the Nets win games. And I, I know he's a big, you know, all-time net, but still. Yeah, if um, Jared Dudley were to leave, you know, and just a replacement guy to be on the bench as a sort of veteran presence, um, he's done that in Sacramento. He's doing that in Atlanta. Um, so I think that it was Sacramento, wasn't it? I'm right. Yeah, yeah, he was Sacramento. Yep. Yeah. Because he had that uh, foul on Pat McCall that was a big deal. Yeah, just to clarify. Um, so, yeah, I think that he can add value as that sort of bench guy. He did say on uh, PTI that, you know, he sees probably one more season in him. Um, I think that he's still playing okay. Um, he still looks spry enough. Um, but I don't think that the Nets are going to like, go after him and sort of scout him. I think there could be some other teams, maybe some vet teams, um, you know, beat the Boston Celtics to join with Kyrie Irving or, or whoever. But he's going to have one more season, beat Atlanta, beat in Brooklyn or somewhere. But uh, VC is um, a Nets legend. And who knows? Funny things could happen. Maybe even Toronto. Yeah, I think it'd be more if he was looking to just sign with a team to sit on the bench. Toronto probably makes more sense just because obviously I think his stretch with the Nets was a little bit better, but that's for completely another podcast. Um, let's move on. Who else we got to talk about, Jack? Let's well, talk- we got Will jumping in again. He thinks that Harris should start at the two and Damari should start at the three. What do you think? I personally like Damari at the four. I like having that rotation. I wouldn't mind if he started at the four in the playoffs because you want to maybe start a veteran. But I think at the th- at the three, it kind of messes up the rotation where they don't really have anybody else to play four except Rodion's and Damari. Yeah, um, I don't. I think that there'll be mix and matches, and you know we saw the closing sort of lineup tonight. Damari's always going to be out there. I don't think he necessarily cares anymore. Um, I, I think that he's. Um, gone under the radar in, in so many aspects of this season, not to Nets fans, but to the NBA media in general. He's been absolutely sensational this season. And, you know, he was good again tonight. He was very solid, four of eight from the field. You know, he actually hit most of his three throws, three of four and two of five from three, a couple of rebounds, did have three turnovers. And I think that's one issue that the Nets have in terms of, you know, live ball turnovers. Joe Harris had a couple of careless ones. I think that if we can limit the live ball turnovers and just be, a, I think it was like f- uh, we had like five turnovers in the first half, and in that third quarter, we had you know at least five at, at that like seven or eight minute mark. Yeah. So I think it's just about maintaining consistency and maintaining just being care not careless, careful with um handling the ball. Yeah, and just to get back to Will's question, I wouldn't mind seeing some minute more minutes out there with Rodion's and Damari together. You know, I don't think you necessarily have to start that, but if you can stagger minutes at some points and they're on the floor together, I think they played pretty well when they're on the bench unit. So that's something to consider. But the sloppy turnovers definitely was something. I felt like that third quarter in general could have been a lot stronger. The Nets could have went up big, but they just got sloppy. 
Yeah, and they started it off relatively well, and then it just really tapered off. And you can't do that to uh, an Atlanta team at home who you know showed some some nice form, and they have some some real talent on the roster. And uh, SSV jumped in again in terms of Alan Krabnick. Why is he so Katy Perry a la hot and cold? <laughs> I, I added in the Katy Perry thing. He didn't say that, but um, but but yeah, why is Crab so hot and cold? He, I agree with Jack. Thank you. It's always nice to be agreed with. Uh, he doesn't really deserve his starting spot, starting spot, but there's no good replacement unless Levert gets back to form. Um, do we have the? Uh, do we have an insight into why Alan Crabb is so hot and cold, Nick? It seems to be his tenure as a net. You know, it's been his career, I think. Even in Portland, I think he was a little bit hot and cold. You just probably noticed it less because he was more of a bench guy or more of a role player. And I think the Nets obviously had to rely on him a little bit more last year, so it stuck out. This year it hasn't been as bad, but. I think Crab just needs to find some type of zone where he needs to get in where, hey, I'm not knocking down my threes. Let me get to the line. We saw him do that once or twice. I want to say the first or second quarter, get to the free throw line. And like I said, if it gets to the playoffs and Crab is still playing bad and, you know, they start him in the first game of the series and he's bad, I would just go with Dinwiddie. Like you can, then you have Levert coming off the bench. You could stagger minutes if you need to. He can kind of run the show. That might even get him going. Yeah, I wonder being, you know, a, a shooter, what his sort of routines are pre-game, post-game, um, those sort of things, you know, in terms of, like you said, sort of getting into that zone, as you listen to music, all these different things. He posts a lot of music the... Snapchats on, uh, like, Instagram of, like, screenshots of what he's listening to. So I think he's a big music guy. He does. Uh, I have seen that. But, you know, in a lot of those sort of Instagram things as well, we sort of see him not necessarily as engaged with the team as some of the other guys like Damari and, and Karras and, and D'Angelo and Rodion. So um, I'm not questioning the fact of, you know, his fit as a teammate. He's been, you know, his Nets tenure has been generally positive um, and he's had, you know, some really flashy performances here and there. Um, but yeah, in terms of just getting a, a routine and mentality, so, you know, uh, when we were at the pregame, obviously Alan Crabb was still injured, but maybe when we head back, it'll be nice to sort of watch, you know, where he's shooting on the court because, you know, we saw it from Joe Harris and we know he's money. I've, that sort of stuck with me from one of the, my first ever memories seeing Joe Harris in a Nets uniform a few years ago. So I think that Alan Crabb just needs to get himself. He just needs to have one of those hot games. It's, it's hard to say because he was so good early. Um, it's almost a question that can't be answered, SSB. Yeah, and I think one thing for Allen that he needs to develop is like a secondary skill. Like we have Joe Harris, we know he's an elite three-point shooter, but he also is very good at driving. You know, Allen Crabb needs to develop, maybe it's driving to the rim, maybe it's a teardrop, maybe it's just a pull-up from the elbow. I think he needs a secondary scoring scoring option, and we really don't see that from him. Yeah, uh, he's had his moments, um, but, you know, whether it's, you know, just the mid-range shot. Um, just practicing that one or whatever it might be, just finding wherever you see that sort of space. But um, his, his up and down form is certainly worrisome. And obviously he is going to be part of his nine-man rotation uh, for the rest of the season and hopefully the playoffs. So um, hopefully we see more good games uh, than lackluster ones from AC. Yeah, at least I would say he's been okay defensively. He hasn't been amazing. He hasn't really like stuck out, but he hasn't been terrible most of the time. So I give him props on that. Man, Nick, just reading this like stat line, just the, the key sort of indicators, the Nets just beat them in field goal percentage. They easily destroyed them in three-point percentage, which is probably what won us the game. Um, that and free throws. But, you know, we were out-rebounded. We were out-assisted. Um, we tied in, in steals. We had one more block. We had more turnovers. Um, we had less fast break points. And it was 62 to 32 in points in the paint. So... Uh, not the best KPIs uh, for the Nets off this matchup. I would say for the points in the paint, some of that's probably a little bit skewed because of all the free throws. 
where the Nets were shooting a lot of free throws driving to the rim. So I, yeah. I wasn't yeah. crazy about that, but John Collins did cook the Nets. Like we were talking about off air, you know, his secondary bounce off misses amazing. But like you said, they got outworked in a lot of categories, like out-rebounded where they're winning the rebounding battle, going to halftime. And we talked about on the pregame show, Atlanta turns over the ball more than any team in the league, and that's turnover percentage and turnovers per game. And the Nets could only force t- 10 turnovers. Yeah, it's 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 not good enough. And I think that that was the, the key sort of defensive mindset and, and sort of, you know, factor that Coach Kenny preached at the start of the season, forcing more, more turnovers. Um, we've done it in periods, um, but I don't think, to be blunt, we have the defensive talent to really sort of, you know, rack them up. Um, we don't, we're not a Boston Celtics, Indiana, a Milwaukee sort of team. You know, there are players that can do it, um, but it also has to be some um, factor on the opposing defense and, and their sort of care, carelessness with the ball. But should we preview the, the Detroit matchup a little bit, Nick? Just one thing on the defense, Jack. I think also it's like lack of cohesion as a unit because you look at elite defensive teams, yeah, they're more talented probably than the Nets, but their communication is on point. They're usually helping each other, and there's just too many times where the Nets are not helping each other and giving up wide-open dunks. To start the game, Atlanta had like two John Collins dunks in a layup. So I think it's like communication is the area where they really need to improve. We've kind of given them some uh, slack on that because the guy's coming back, but now they're getting to the point where this is becoming the rotation. They need to kind of pick that area up. Yeah, I think it's more so like individually, everyone's worrying about their guy at the yep. start of the game. And it's just like, all right, I'll worry about Trey. You worry about, you know, Alex Lynn. You worry about Torian Prince. Rather than just going, all right, let's just make the rotations. Let's just play basketball and, and read what happens. Um, that, you know, those first few minutes where it was like a 6-0, whatever it was, um, I think is, you know, something that needs to be tightened up because if that doesn't happen, you know, you get those, you know, extra points going forward, I think. Um, it, the mentality needs to be that, like, you know, every bucket matters, you know, for the rest of the season and, you know, be it free throws or be it, you know, three pointers. Um, we need to, to execute a little bit better because um, we're coming up some against some very, very formidable opponents. Yeah, 100%. And I think that also goes for the rebounding. Every possession counts where there were stretches where they did a great job putting bodies on John Collins and whoever was rebounding for Atlanta. But then at other points, they just got careless and there was balls that would take two or three bounces and the Atlanta guy would grab it. And I think that's just unacceptable. Yeah, it, it really is. And I think that we need to eradicate, you know, the, the things that just shouldn't be happening, you know, on the other on the other end of the floor. Um, you Especially know, if you want to be a playoff team. Like, that's what it is. If you want to be a, an okay team, that's fine. But if you want to be a playoff team, this is the kind of stuff you need to cut out. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, there are plenty of teams around us that are playing some decent basketball. So if we can't, you know, get some form and, and do the right things, then, you know, a, a team will happily take our spot, be it Charlotte, Orlando or Miami, who have been in, you know, up and down form. But some of those teams have been playing better than us. A hundred percent. Jack, any other questions from the viewers before we move on to the preview? Just some general comments. The fact, you know, Atlanta is um, reminiscent of the Nets last year a little bit. I, I would agree with that. Trey getting too many calls and uh, Will um, saying that, you know, it's a playoff game coming on Monday. Yeah. I, I Some of the off-ball fouls for Trey Young really drove me nuts, but I can't. we can't really complain when the Nets shot 50-plus free throws. So, whatever. It's going to happen. Um, definitely, Will's on point. You know, obviously, check out Will's work at otgbasketball.com as well. But it's a big game. They're going to have to play better than they did tonight if they want to win that game. Obviously, it's at home, so there will be a little bit more extra juice, but there's way too many errors they had tonight that they can't carry over to Monday. Yeah, big is an understatement. Enormous, (laughs) uh, gargantuan, fantastic. It's going to be an absolutely massive game for this net squad. And um, we've had plenty of those sort of games throughout the season, but I think that this sort of takes it to a new level. 
Yeah, this is uh, a different thing. You know, like they've had pressure games earlier, but as you get uh, later in the season, it picks up. And this is kind of building them for this final stretch for the playoffs. And I think the road trip does that too. It does. And, you know, we haven't really necessarily, you can't prepare for this sort of, these sort of games. Um, you know, 2015, where the, the last sort of time we were making the playoffs with KG, Paul Pierce and stuff, it, it was a completely different squad. Whereas now um, we have such a young squad, obviously um, filled in with a few veterans here and there. Um, how you play in these matchups determines whether you deserve to be in the playoffs or not. And, you know, it starts with Detroit. Um, we sort of spoke about um, uh, little bits and pieces in terms of how they've been playing. They've been on fire. I think they've been like, you know, in net rating and, and some of those key indicators have been absolutely outstanding of like similar to what the Nets were in, in that sort of stretch. So they've been sort of the form team of the East uh, for a lot of the season, you know, with, with or a lot of this recent stretch post All-Star break. So uh, this is going to be a really, really tricky matchup. Um, the fact it's at home gives us, you know, a, a little bit of an edge. The Nets have played very well there this season, um, but I wouldn't count that as, you know, a, a really sort of swinging and turning point. Yeah, 100%. Obviously, they do have a win against Detroit at home this year already, so it would be nice to get another one. And I think the interesting thing about Detroit is a lot of people were ready to write them off at the deadline when they traded Reggie Bullock, and then all of a sudden they picked up Wayne Ellington and things really started to click and they took another level. So that was really interesting. Like we kind of talked about, you know, Andre Drummond and Blake Griffin have just been pretty dominant for them. And Andre Drummond especially, Blake's been good all year, but he's Drummond's picked up his game substantially over this last month. Yeah, and um, shout-outs to a couple of lesser likes as well. Luke Kennard, yeah. um, he's been shooting really nicely. I haven't seen a lot of Detroit matchups, but just listening and reading the media or, or surrounding them, uh, the Wayne Ellington, like you mentioned, Nick, it just allows him to space the floor so well, you know, because Reggie Jackson is an amaz- isn't an amazing three-point shooter he's either. He's playing a lot better, though. That's a big he's plus pl- for them, too. He is playing well, and I think that you know he's probably going to want to make his his voice heard and his pl- and his play heard uh, against the Nets because you know he's a guy who's on a decent contract and he's coming up against some some young feisty blokes and Spencer Dinwiddie and D'Angelo Russell and he's probably going to want to shut them up in that sort of a sense. So uh, it's going to be a, a very very interesting matchup and um, easily the most important one of the season and and probably the most important game we've played in in two and a half years. Yeah, probably the most important game. You're right, Jack, obviously. And we could play one more important later in the season. And we kind of hinted at it in terms of defense. And I think team defense is going to be huge in this matchup because Blake might need to be double teamed at times. Andre Drummond, if he gets a mismatch down low against one of the guards or they end up switching on him or something, really going to be important to communicate against his team. Oh, it's essential. Absolutely and, and utterly essential. Will Jackson has chimed in. Brian from Saker on Twitter. Kenny has said, and I quote, I don't know what neighborhood Rody grew up in in Latvia, but that must, that must be one tough neighborhood. Dude, he, he's a tough dude. And like we talked about it, he's not the biggest dude, but he's feisty. Like he's not scared of anything. And like, yo, he moved Alex Len on that poster. Like he hit him with his body and Len like moved over. He probably could have got an and one on that play. I can't wait till next season because Rodion's actually going to get foul calls. And the fact is, like, you know, the moment we sort of, you know, this kid arrived, and he is a kid still. Um, <laughs> we could like, say that because he's, like, substantially younger than us. Like. Exactly, exactly. Um, but the, the moment that this, you know, young man arrived, he's just like, I want to body Chris Porzingis. And it's just like that mentality sort of just set the stage for what Rodion's Kuruz is all about. Um, he's, he's all about making an impact and, um, he's been absolutely bloody awesome all season. And uh, we're going to need all of his talents and then some uh, coming up against Detroit uh, on Monday. Yeah. And one thing I think is positive too is like Rodion's didn't play a ton for that little stretch, but I 
I think it allowed him to like re-energize because he did hit a slight like rookie slump or rookie wall, whatever you want to call it. And now he's more energized. And like we've talked about, Nets have 14 games remaining, I think like 33 days or something like that. So he should be able to be well-rested for the playoffs. And like you said, they'll really need him because he can take their game to another level. And he's a young guy and like he's still going to get better over these next couple of weeks. That's a it's a really good point in terms of the, the sort of less the the lack of minutes and the sort of minutes change from the coaching staff and I think you know a little bit of credit should go there because of the fact that you know he wasn't playing well so coach Kenny sort of took him out of the rotation lessened his minutes and then he earned them back again and has steadily seen an increase there so I think that um, coach Kenny deserves a lot of credit there a really good point from you Nick but um, in terms of his impact you know I think. Him and Damari Carroll, we can speak about D'Angelo Russell and Spencer Dinwiddie, but in terms of impact on the floor, I, I, I'd be curious to see in terms of, you know, plus minus, defensive, offensive rating. We know earlier in the season, Rodion's was so important with that, but I think those two guys, be it our, be it the fact that they are our best wings, we're going to need them to be at their absolute best and fit and firing. You know, healthy is going to be uh, super important as well. So hopefully that they have that mentality because it's um, this stretch is going to, it's going to determine everything. Yeah, the one thing I love about him and Damari is they just are always kind of going after the loose balls. One play really stuck out. I think it was the second quarter. He kind of ripped the ball from Alex Lyon, ended up throwing it down court to D'Lo for one of his, I think his third dunk of the season. Yeah, it was awesome. Absolutely awesome. And um, touching on Detroit again, SSV. Nick, you probably watched a little bit more Detroit basketball than I have. I know little bits and pieces. How has Reggie Jackson improved his game of late? I think the most important thing for Reggie Jackson, he just looked a lot healthier of late. You know, he's obviously knee tendonitis has been a real problem for him. Um, I want to say his three-point ball is starting to go down a little bit more. I haven't watched a ton of Detroit. You know, I'll catch it here and there. And usually I'm focusing on, like, Blake and Andre. But I think his efficiency has really turned up. And I think he's understanding his role a little bit better. But the main factor for him is just health because he hasn't been healthy in what seems almost since his first season in Detroit. Yeah, I think health means everything when it comes to any player, especially the guy like Reggie Jackson. And I'll echo the sentiments of the fact that understanding his role um, I think a lot of guys, when they get paid and they sort of get that sort of, you know, inflated sort of sense of self and the fact that, all right, well, I'm, I'm paid this much. Um, I deserve this. But he is fit into being the number three sort of option on that team. You know, Andre Drummond, uh, Blake Griffin, you know, he's sort of um, knowing that those guys are sort of leading the charge and he's sort of the complementary piece around them. And, you know, he's not the number three guy on a championship team, but he is on a sort of fringe playoff contender like the Detroit Pistons. So I think that he's been he's been good and he's going to be a guy that's, you know, teams have to watch, have to scout for. Yeah, and I think it's a big difference, like, uh, to talk about Andre Drummond a little bit more. When he plays really hard and plays to his talent level, he goes from being, you know, a top 20 center to a top 10, borderline top five guy because he's so dominant on the boards. Like, he's a guy that can go out and get you 20 points and 20 rebounds, and it's, it doesn't even make it look difficult. So I think when he plays really well and plays up to his standard, obviously we know Blake has been excellent, and he's probably having the best season of his career. He was just on my all, all underrated team for the NBA outlet. So... I'm I'm, I'm kind of concerned about those two. I'm really interested to see how the Nets defend them because I don't think they have guys that can defend them one-on-one. -on -one. No, it's going to be team defense. We talked about it. Um, unruly star mentions Ish Smith as well. He seems to always cook us. Always he's like underrated. He's a Nets killer, dude. He's a straight-up Nets killer, and I don't understand why. Like, I watch Ish Smith in other games, and he can't hit a shot. And then against the Nets, he'll hit like his highest three-point percentage of his career. Yeah, I've got like memories of like Raul Neto as well. Um, <laughs> again, Neto, oh god, that one hurts his soul. <laughs> again, we're coming up against Utah soon, so hopefully these guys don't cook us, you know, out of a, out of a win. But um, plenty of things to watch for in that Detroit matchup, Nick. 
Yeah, one thing I'm looking for is I want to see Spencer doing what he always obviously is looking for revenge against them, one of the teams to let him go, uh, to get get those opposing bigs in foul trouble. That's the best bet for the Nets. You know, their guards can attack a lot of their guards on the perimeter defense-wise. They're not amazing. It's kind of attacking Andre Drummond, attacking Blake Griffin. I think Jared Allen also showed something different tonight, the ability to draw free throws. Some of that was Atlanta being bad, but a lot of it was Jared Allen's activity. Definitely all things to watch for. Yeah, but any other final thoughts, Jack, before we get out of here? No, nah, just that every game is a must win and every game matters so much. Every game is a, a playoff matchup, essentially. If we do make it, Nick, and, and this preparation going forward, I think it holds us in good stead. But obviously, that's forecasting forward. Let's just uh, get the Detroit win, hopefully, uh, first. To be honest, I'm excited about the hard stretch. Like, it actually excites me because if the Nets do get in the playoffs, they're going to be well-prepared. They're going to be have to be on the road and beat a lot of good teams, and they're going to give somebody a really difficult first-round series if they're able to make through the stretch and have some success. But as always, Jack, pleasure talking hoops. Big thanks to everybody listening and sending us great questions. Also, check us out iTunes, Block Talk Radio, OTGBasketball.com, that's Republic.com, Dash Radio, and YouTube. Also, check out the giveaway at OTG Basketball. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.